and welcome to another episode of the Ultimate Supply Chain Podcast, the space where we discuss the different challenges facing supply chain professionals. I'm your host, Louise Barber, Head of Global Marketing here at DHL Supply Chain, and I'm really excited to bring you experts and thought leaders to answer all your burning questions about contract logistics and supply chain issues. Now, we've all witnessed the boom of e-commerce over the last two years in particular, and how it's drastically disrupted the global economy and supply chains, or maybe improved them, depending on your point of view. When we talk about e-commerce, we also need to think of returns. What does that imply? What are the challenges and what are the opportunities? How does the circular economy fit in here? What role does it play? I'm delighted to have Nabil Maluli with me today. He's a corporate entrepreneur, an advisor, a speaker. He's a friend of mine here at DHL Supply Chain and a particular specialist in the field of e-commerce and logistics. Hi, Nabil, welcome. And it's great to have you join us on the Ultimate Supply Chain podcast. Hi, Lou, it's great to be here. Brilliant. Can you just give us a quick introduction, Nabil, to what you do here at, at DHL and how you got here? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I lead the uh, strategy and the product development for e-commerce solutions. Uh, we help our clients, uh, primarily uh, large organizations, build their next generation supply chain uh, network, uh, going from fulfillment, everything basically from the order generation, fulfillment up to last mile delivery. And obviously the topic of today, the preparation, management and optimization of returns. Brilliant. Thanks, Nabil. As I say, it's great to have you here. Um, we in marketing always love working with Nabil. He's full of great ideas. He's full of innovation and he's up for trialing anything. So a marketer's dream. So let's kick off, Nabil. More e-commerce means more returns inevitably. How big an issue is that for us these days? Yeah, I mean, it's really, really becoming a major issue when you start to look at the amount of money um, being processed through returns. I mean, we are now reaching on the latest numbers of 2021, we're talking about 700 billion of merchandise value being returned. And the problem is not only the amount in terms of merchandise value, but it's also that the percentage of returns is growing. So um, as we see the growth of e-commerce becoming more and more um, important, we also see that the, actually the rate of returns is not reducing, it's actually increasing. And so we are now, as an average, around 20%. And if you compare that to 2020, we were at 16% as an average of, of, of returns. So it's growing in merchandise value and it's growing also in, in percentage. So it's a, it's a dual problem that we have to attack. Yeah, I get that. And if if I just think about the um, the amount of parcels that are delivered to, to my, my home, um, with a 24-year-old daughter, um, there are probably nearly as many returns as there are deliveries. And it's an expectation. Um, I've seen her make her decision on who to place an order with based on the quality of the return. And that's quite a new thing, I think. Um, is, the, is it true of all sectors of the economy or some more prevalent than others? So it is not the same level uh, in terms of product category. Uh, if you look, for example, at fashion and apparel, it is traditionally the category that has the highest rates of returns. Mm. And we see some of the businesses we manage, which are fast fashion organizations, the uh, percentage can go up to 40% in certain cases. So usually that's the top category, 
but uh, you also have uh, categories like um, automotive parts, as an example, which have high level of returns as well as home decoration. So um, it is a general problem, but there are certainly categories of products that are bigger than others for obvious reasons, sizing, fitting. So, so this is one dimension, but also because some organization or some segment of the uh, of the merchants are really incentivizing actually ordering more products and returning a, the ones that they don't like right the um a, a try before try before you pay type of models a, are also incentivizing consumers to just order more and then just return what they don't like so obviously that's not going to be a good way in order to reduce the amount of of returns that we see in the market Sure. And do you do you see typically that returns are making a big impact on um, a customer's decision as to where they place their e-commerce business? So we see different, actually different strategies, right? There are companies that um, do not look at return yet as a critical element of their network strategy. So they will use basically all their distribution centers, existing infrastructure, and they will plug into the return management as part of that. But we do see a couple of organizations, which are actually companies that I will define as the leading organizations that are now working through the process of having dedicated return centers where they really specialize. I mean, the return processing is way more complex um, and requires also certain skills. You know, if you have to do uh, refurbishing or if you have to do uh, uh, repairs. I mean, there are there are different uh, elements that makes it harder. So for the moment, I would say that generally in the industry, we don't see this being like a critical component of network designs and a, the other networks that companies are pulling for their for their e-commerce supply chain. But it's changing, and the ones that are leading the pack are already there. Sure, it's fascinating, isn't it? As a consumer, when you um, if you try and return something and you get that list, give me the reason for return. I always think, well, why do they want to know that? And then being on the logistics side of the business, it's clear why they want to know that. You go up a different route depending on the reason for your return. Um, so I think it's a fascinating part of the of the supply chain, particularly around e-commerce. But look, we hear a lot about the circular economy. How can tackling returns challenge boost that circular economy? And, and where do DHL and, and other logistics players play a part? Yes, yeah, so I think the supply chain is actually a critical element of how you can improve uh, the process. The, the, the first element is you can actually do different things through the return journey in order to improve, optimize the return experience. Um, you know, what you were saying, the, the visibility of what's the reason why your product is being returned is the first criteria, right? Because a product could be um, not satisfactory or it could be just someone that changed their mind. So it's a completely different processing in terms of what you're going to need to do with that item. And it's going to be also a completely different scenario as to what's the future of that product itself and how much of a supply chain challenge is going to be once that product's go and start that return journey. So I think the overall supply chain uh, design is critical in order to process returns faster, eh, to process them in a better way, more optimized, more consolidated, um, but also in order to generate the highest value of that return item. And that's actually something that we see more and more. A couple of years ago, like two years or three years ago, we were talking about returns as 
how do we reduce the cost of returns? And today we have completely different conversation with our customers. The conversation is, how do I maximize margin on the return product? How do I do to increase the amount of products that I'm actually going to be able to push into premium channel or if it's not in premium channel, into the best channel where I get the best value out of this product. That's obviously a financial element, but there is also a critical aspect of sustainability because what companies, again, the companies leading and the one that we're working with is how do I minimize the amount of product that I'm actually destroying? Because when I destroy a product, it obviously, you know, that has the biggest negative impact into financials, but also into sustainability. So we're working through reducing returns, repairing, refurbishing, but also helping companies to eventually look for channels to resell. And of course, the recycling of that. Thanks, Nabil. It's a really fascinating area to explore. And in our last episode, we spoke to uh, Florence Nablot, and she was making the point that returns and recycling and the circular economy are absolutely essential parts in today's supply chain in a way they wouldn't have been, obviously, uh, several years ago. So it really has given a new lease of life to supply chain and what that means to us. Can we move to think about what kind of intelligent return strategy, the, the sort of thing that we do here at DHL, how might that improve a customer's profitability and their efficiency? Absolutely. So we start, if we want to look at the entire process, we should divide that into three major steps. Um, you have the consumer facing return process, which is usually a portal or a digital interface that is replacing the previous labels in a box and so on, which allow the consumer basically to return easily what you were mentioning, Lou, about putting the reason codes and put also what's the most convenient way for them to return that, that product. You know, is it to drop it? Is it to put it into, you know, the postal service and so on? So you have that return management and return portal aspect, which is the first step of the process. Then you have the return shipping and really the process of transport of that item from that consumer up to the location where it needs to be returned. And that location could be a distribution center, but it could be also a store, it could be a pickup and drop-off location where products are consolidated in lots and then shoot back to a distribution center. So you have that entire return transportation process. And then you have everything that is happening in the return processing center, which is going to be the reception, sorting, grading, evaluating if they need to be some repairs into the product, and eventually also a resell a, a strategy or resale process that's going to be done through that through that step of return uh, within the fulfillment center or the distribution center. So um, this, if you think about these three elements, you actually have different pieces of technology that can help you to improve not only the visibility aspect of what is coming back, but also to make it faster in terms of the entire process in terms of what are the best shipping options that I should be using? How can I consolidate orders on my on my on my way to pick up items if I'm gonna pick up from consumers, if I'm gonna pick up from pickup and drop off locations? How do I get this product processed faster in a in a fulfillment center? You know, usually SLAs on returns are like 24 hours from the time you get an item until you process it. So how do you get that, you know, to a shorter time frame? And how do you get that processed like effectively at scale? And ultimately, how do you use systems and technology that are going to help you also define 
a what's the best path for product. If I'm get, if I'm gonna get a product um, that is being returned and is a low value, low margin product where I'm gonna have shipping costs that are gonna be higher. On the first step, what should I do? Maybe, and we see it as consumers, right? We see companies that will tell you, well, you know what, just keep it, right? Just keep it because the CO2 emission plus financially doesn't make sense to be sent back, right? So ideally, what you really want to be thinking of is how do I minimize returns before they happen? But when they have to happen, then you also have to really think about, well, how do I use technology in order to help me to really assess what's the best way to, to do that? And also, does it even make sense for me to get that product back from the consumer? And then we use multiple technologies to help us to streamline the process, as well as to make that return very effective. And obviously we use technology also to help us to process them, robotics, solutions as an example, and get the highest value we can um, in the best channel, sales channel possible. Makes perfect sense. Um, strikes me, based on what you're saying, that technology is going to play an absolutely essential role in this part of the supply chain. How do we typically interface with technology? I mean, are these solutions that we're developing ourselves? Are these solutions that we're buying in? What's our approach to technology investment in this field, Nabil? Yeah, so I think today you have multiple solutions uh, in the marketplace. We did a recent announcement uh, with a company called Reverse Logics. In this case, that is a, a software a solution that um, help organizations to manage the entire return process. Um, so these are the type of solution in the marketplace that um, can really help organization to manage better the process. There are different organizations out there that are helping organization into the portal, into the shipping, into the consolidations of orders. Um, and we, at the same time, we are also using our own technologies in order to process returns faster into the warehouse uh, using wearable technologies a, a, that are helping us to process faster to get a, a, the ability to actually refurbish, repair items a, on the, on, in a much better way. So it's a combination of both. It's a combination of own technology where we build our own uh, IP um, to solve problems that we think are like some of the biggest problems that are helping really to maximize margin a, a, and, and recoup the highest amount of products possible, as well as we use some software that um, that are external softwares that are helping us also to manage some of the areas of the business which we think they have something that is best of breed. Sure, Look, I'm guessing, I can just imagine um, our friends in solutions, this is one of those amazing challenges that they just live for. Uh, I can just imagine them with their spreadsheets and their post-it notes, working out what the optimal customer journey is here and what the optimum solution is against those requirements. Um, incredible. I'm guessing though also that this isn't ever a one size fits all. How are we catering for the really different problems that we have and the different kinds of business that are experiencing those problems? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, this is a great point. It is definitely never the same. If you're gonna process returns for a fast fashion company, um, a premium brand, they will have rules and they will have a business requirement that are going to be different than if we are talking about, you know, um, 
a, a consumer electronic company, but even if you stay in the same categories of product, depending on, on the type of brands we are talking about, they will have different rules and they will have a different business requirement as to what can be returned, what are the rules of refunds, um, how much of the product can actually be or should be really um, recouped from uh, from uh, you know from a process standpoint, and also to what level of of efforts are you going to go in order to think about repairing, suing, and and so on products? So I think this is very very different by customers. The way we we think about this is really by building modular solutions where you can actually build rules within the solution set that can be customized by customer and by profile in order to actually serve the different type of clients that we serve going from of course fast fashion consumer electronics and all the other categories which will have different needs and different business requirements and um look i get it it's going to be different by sector it's going to be different by type of um of item that we're providing do you see much geographical difference is there much trend do you see many you know a lot of different trends depending on where we are in the world actually on the weights managed we don't see major differences in, in terms of the supply chain management what we see is on the consumer preference there are countries that actually are more aggressive in terms of brands promoting um you know these models that i was describing where they incentivize just purchase and have no any limitation in terms of how much a consumer can return and we see companies that are more sensible and countries that are more sensible to that in regards to how aggressive the companies and the brands are going and and uh, i think that's that's maybe one of the major difference uh, i think also there are obviously countries that are more sensible to the topic of sustainability and that are a bit more advanced into their journey. I mean, if you look, for example, uh, there are countries in Europe uh, and there are a couple of, of regulations coming uh, a, on the way already to not allow companies to destruct any manufactured product. Um, and so this is a, this is a big uh, uh, game changer for the industry because we know many organizations uh, and there were, uh, there were a couple of, of uh, of famous organization that got the spotlight uh, recently, I'm not going to mention who they are, but if you look on the news, because they were burning a extremely expensive items just in order to maintain their brand value. And this is something that obviously, if you think about it from a, from a sustainability aspect, this makes no sense. A, a, and so we're going to see, I have no doubt that we're going to see also across the globe, this trend coming. I think it's starting in Europe. And we're going to see this expanding to many other regions where companies and brands will not be able to distract product. So they're going to have to find a way to actually resell these items. And that might be a consideration also in regards to how much do I really promote in terms of, yeah, just, just buy as many as you want and then we'll see what we do with the rest. Yeah, you can imagine that's going to be one of those examples of where um, regulation may well actually drive innovation. Um, so I think, yeah, so it's a watching brief with that one, right? So watch this space and let's see how that evolves and, and how we're able to respond to it and how quickly we're able to respond to it. Um, so I'm guessing the um, data and analytics plays a huge part in the returns process. Can we just talk a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. So we in supply chain manage a lot of data and oftentimes, you know, we might not be using it on some of the most obvious elements, you know, we worked on a, on a project with, with a client um, two years ago on which 
the main objective was really to try to identify what we call serial returners. A, a you know you usually in a, in every company you will have a certain amount of customers that are the most um, the one that are returning products the most frequent. A, and so that's something that when you start to think about like all the data you have on hand and what can you do with that. I think there is definitely a lot. I think the th that specific case was really around trying to identify, you know, which consumers are returning the highest amount of items. And what you could find is that uh, there was one percent of all the consumers that were returning most of the items uh, mm. being returned. It was above fifty percent of the total returns mm. that were within one percent of the consumer base. And so. What you what you see there is definitely that it is not maybe a generalized problem also that the company might have, but it's actually something that they could actually look and really try to tackle with specific customers, you know, within within maybe within their strategy and within their sales strategy with these profiles and try to understand why they have so many returns coming from these. Yeah, they're a segment, right? It's a segment, segment approach to a particular behavior. Yeah, exactly. completely get it. And so. And so I think when you start to think about this, you're like, okay, well, this is not necessarily like a supply chain problem as such. It's more a consumer behavior and sales strategy problem, but the data comes from, you know, from the supply chain side, because you can be able to analyze, you know, how many consumers and what type of products they return and so on. And also what state they returns the product, um, you know, whether used, not used, whether really just because they change their mind or not. So I think there is a lot there. So I think that's, you know, uh, just an example of how you can use the data to really try to optimize the process. But one big element of really, um, I think, which is critical on, on how to use the data is, if I go back to your example of, of reason codes, is when you know the amount of returns you're going to get and you have the ability to track and you have that visibility of how many are coming back with what type of reasons you can plan ahead into your fulfillment operation and you know you're going to get 10,000 items that are coming back that were stated to be a product with a defect or with a problem on them. So you can use that data to actually plan on how you're going to address that ahead of the ahead of the of the wave of returns and you know at scale it makes a huge difference so when you start to go into this level of data you can really use that data in order to plan better and then consequently be much more effective in the way you're processing these returns so yeah look i guess this is another example of where the world has moved on we've got consumers now that are buying five items always with the intention of perhaps returning at least four of them nabil I don't want to put you in the position where I'm asking you for a prediction, but as the world continues to change, what does the future hold in e-commerce returns? Well, I think Lou, what you just described and what you 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 mentioned, I think is is just a reality of what the consumers and the new generation are expecting. I think it is part of the operating model, and I think it's part of the way people are buying online now and they expect to have free deliveries, free returns, no question asked. And if anything is going to happen is we're going to see that trend becoming more and more obvious and it's just going to expand as we have more of this newer generation becoming the consumers and becoming the largest part of the consumers in the marketplace. So I think for organization, it's critical, it's critical to think about the fact that Again, if we look at the statistics and the fact of today, e-commerce growth 
returns returns grow as well, but they grow actually in a higher percentage already today. And we can expect that this is going to continue in that trend because there is no any indication or there's no any factor that could really say, well, there is this clear trend here that could allow us to reduce that. I think there are two things that could help to optimize and reduce overall this impact. One is a consumer awareness around the sustainability impact of this behavior, which I think we are, we are also seeing to a certain extent, depending on geographies, we're already seeing that a, a combined with the effect of regulation around the space. But the second thing that could also help to improve this overall trend is technology. We see companies investing in technology for feeding technologies as an example in order to be able to reduce or AR or VR technologies that allow you to see well how a sofa would fit into your living room and, and TV and so on. Of course, these are technologies that exist already for a couple of years, but the level of sophistication of the technologies embedded into the consumer experience and into the shopping experience are improving every day. And so I think these two elements could really help to improve overall. But I think for a company, relying on that as a hope that this is going to solve the problem is probably not the right strategy. I think today you definitely have to take this as a critical element, not of only your growth strategy, but of your profitability strategy. Because you could have a policy which gives consumer hassle-free returns, but there would be a difference between the winners that are processing these returns in the most effective way and they are able to put 90% into their premium channel or 95% to their premium channel versus the one that are processing returns and they are only able to process 50% as an example. And that's going to have a big impact in, in, uh, in the bottom line and that will make a big difference as to how companies are effectively managing that and at the same time giving that consumer the experience that he wants. Because we know also, you know, whenever we have conversations with the teams of direct-to-consumer or e-commerce or a digital teams of, of organizations, you know, whatever the name is, but the team that is really in charge of that sales experience and that digital experience, their biggest concern is, well, if you are not doing that, you're going to have an impact into conversion and into sales. And, the, and that's probably true. But how do you do that in an effective manner is really where companies have to do. And working with logistic partners also around building uh, the best approach to you. And there is not, again, there is not one size fits all, um, but working with companies that can really help you through the process of defining what's that right model, what are the right benchmarks, what are the right KPIs, what's the right visibility, and what type of tools are available out there in order to improve um, that processing experience and that processing operational execution, I think it's going to be key for any company. And typically, Nabil, is this is this the sort of thing that companies are embracing, our customers are embracing proactively, or are these things that we're having to tell them? I think I think it's a mix, but I don't think it's a priority yet for most of the organizations. I don't I don't see it. I see again if I think always about who are the leading companies, at least to my experience and the one that I interact with, I start to see the leading companies having dedicated teams and people building reverse 
circular economy strategies, but they are really on the early days also. These are teams that are one year, one year were created one year ago or two years ago. And the interesting thing is many companies are linking this to their sustainability agenda, which is a very good way. But I think there's a big risk there because this is actually a game changing from a profitability standpoint as well. And so when you position something as being a sustainability a aspect only, you'd get certain level that you get a lot of people that are going to adopt that, a, a, but not maybe not necessarily everybody. When you, put, you position this as a sustainability plus financial game changer, then you really have, you know, it's going to be hard to say that someone says, well, that's not that important, right? Um, and I think that's where that conversation needs to be driven into organization uh, in order to get this elevated as a critical element much faster. Yeah, it becomes a smart thing to do, right? It's not just the right thing to do, it's the profitable thing to do. And that's quite a powerful combination. Of course. Nabil, of course. It's you, talk to, you talk to the people that care about the planet and the people that care about the wallet, right? It's a good combination. A really good combination. If you can find the one person that cares about both, you've absolutely nailed it. Exactly. Thanks for that, Nabil. One final thing that we ask all our guests, can you give us your favorite example of connecting people and improving lives or what it means to you? Yeah, I think, you know, when you look at the amount of products that we move, we really, you know, the diversity of things we transport for different purpose, for different people. It's really, it's really amazing the amount of stories that, uh, that are behind, right? Like, uh, it's you know, in the e-commerce space, you know, it could be you could be transporting the, you know, a, a wedding anniversary gift or, you know, or the birthday gift for, for a little girl or a little boy. And I think to me, ultimately, is, is this everything that we move, we uh, transport is actually going to someone that, uh, that hopefully will make a great day for them. So I think that's, uh, that's something that uh, gets me excited. Oh, you old softy. There we have the hard entrepreneur, the hard shell, the outside, but the soft hearted interior. Bill, that's lovely. Um, you're absolutely right. That is really where we can make a huge difference, connecting people, improving lives. Thank you. So look, that's all we've got time for today. It's been a huge delight to have you with us today, Nabil, talking about e-commerce and returns in particular. I'm really excited about the next episode, um, but I'm also excited to track you, Nabil, and find out where our returns journey takes us. Thanks to you all for listening. It's been great to be with you again today. Please spread the word around our ultimate podcasts and subscribe. We'd like to see your reviews and we look forward to welcome you again for future episodes. Thank you. Thank you.